Today's podcast makes reference to violence and microaggressions to racial and minority communities. If you are not in a place to hear that comfortably, please press pause and choose a different podcast episode. And when you're ready to confront white violence against racial communities and minority groups, take a listen. Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. This is a timely episode that I am with Bro, and we are recording in light of the Black Lives Matter, I don't even want to call it a movement. It's like, it was a moment that happened last week, and Team Corker went quiet to listen, and we have come out the other side, and it was, Bro, your idea to say, we have learned, we have listened, and let's talk about it. And the first thing I said was, is this really the right conversation for you and I as two white people to be in? And your immediate response was, yes, because we've been racist. And I was like, teach me, tell me, this is the conversation. And so I don't even asterisk this. I welcome this conversation from a place of, I've been wrong. I am not proud of being wrong. And the way to learn is to have conversations like these. So yeah, I feel really like there is a a nervousness to get it wrong in this conversation. And one of the teachers that I've been learning from over the last year was they talked about how perfection is part of the oppression Mm. and that our desire to get it right, to not make a mistake, to be seen in a certain way is actually part, is a tool used to oppress voices and people. And when I make it not about me, I make it about what I'm talking about, then all of a sudden I don't care about getting it wrong or right. I care a lot about generating a dialogue. And so to your point, like, yeah, I've got it wrong a lot of times. I'm also, when you say like we've learned, it's like we've learned so little in terms of what there is for us to continue learning and that I still want to like share and still be part of the conversation to be like, wow, we are finally like brought to the table where people like where black people have been saying like, we've been in this work, we've been educating, we've been activists, we've been lawyers, we've been like really trying to create change for hundreds of years. And just because we show up at the table, it's like, I have something to say about it. It's like, no, I just want to be like, bro, sis, if we were over the dinner table right now, like what would we be saying? And bro, I want to interrupt right here because you said something that was really great around when we turn the conversation and make it about ourselves. Do you remember that conversation we had? It was a really great example of not making it about yourself. And in a different context, it felt like. Yeah, there's something about when we like, I made a mention of like how in Canada we have like polite racism. And so therefore we don't think that we have this like racist problem and how I can often turn it on me is if I say things like, well, I am married to a person who's interracial like I have black friends. I like, it's about 
my identity and my position versus what's actually going on and what the, like, when we look at Black Lives Matter and they talk about we want to be respected and and valued just like everyone else. And right now the police are not treating us the same as they are white people. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, oh, it's not about like my experience with the police. It's not like my Mm -hmm. opinion. It's about me listening to what others are saying and and recognizing that our our experience is different. Mm -hmm. And instead of it being like, well, because that's not my lived experience, it's wrong. It's more like, oh, you have a different lived experience than me. And I can learn something from that because then I can practice being an ally in that moment. And whether I get it right or wrong, it's like, who cares? I just want to like be there for you. And in this case, the bar is set so low right now because we're talking about people's lives versus Mm -hmm. like often on this podcast, we'll talk about careers and families and fulfillment. And it's like, we're at like base humanity right now. Like, can you just survive another day safely? Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating how we were so wrapped up in COVID and that was about saving people in hospitals on ventilators. And then we finally opened our eyes to a different conversation that's been going on the whole time. And yeah. yeah. Okay. You have some interesting stats. I want you to dive in. Well, so I think that first off the, the first thing that I hear, especially in communities up here in Canada is like, Oh, Canada doesn't have a race problem. Mm-hmm. And like, we're not like the States. And if you look at like shootings from a global scale in terms of the different countries where police murder other people, like the, the U S outstands everyone. Like it is, it is by far, unfortunately the leader of police murder and Canada is second though. So like on the global scale, we're, we're, be, we're just behind the US. And the Ontario Human Rights Commission did a report in 2018 and they looked at police cases from 2013 to 2017 on race and policing. And the report concluded that a black person in Toronto was 20 times more likely to be shot and killed than a white person. And in the police shootings, 20% of people that were white carrying a gun and only 11% were, were black civilians carrying a gun. So it's not even like these people were more dangerous. Like actually white people in these cases were more dangerous or posed a more like visual threat, but because of their white skin, they aren't a visual threat. And so it's like, this is like two years ago, this report. And a lot of the the commentary around that report were people who worked in, as social workers or working in Black communities or just li- a lived Black experience. And the, the comments that they shared were like, thanks for creating a report. We've been telling you this the entire time. Like, I don't need a report to validate it. And from a, a white perspective, we often are like, what are the facts? What are the figures? Show me the study. Give me the research. Like, let us prove it. And so I also just thought that was really interesting in terms of like how the report was written and then the commentary from like some of the experts that they interviewed. But I love that you brought up COVID because I was like, man, COVID right now worldwide. So we're recording this on June 9th worldwide. Right now, the number of cases is 131,000 cases worldwide. In Canada, 150,000 children were taken in residential schools 
with our like from our Aboriginal families. So like global pandemic, just in our small country, 150,000 children were taken and the last residential school in Canada closed in 1996. Wait, let's just put this into perspective that what you're saying is the number of cases of COVID in the world is less than the number of children that were put in residential schools in only our country. Correct. I mean, that's a big effing deal. And so when we look at racism in Canada, my like first instinct is like, our, our history is steeped in, in racism as it relates to our indigenous population mm. and, or the indigenous population, I should say. And the, to me, I was like, I know like most close, most residential schools closed or were handed over to local bands by the like mid eighties, so like 1986. So like when around when we were born. And so through our lifetime, we have just been on the conversation of how do we recover from this, I'll call it an epidemic, like may not be the right word, but like if we're calling COVID an epidemic, like residential schools are an epidemic for Indigenous people and for everyone in Canada as it relates to how we then treat and see and talk about our Indigenous population. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. And I, God, I love our dad with all my heart. And he would be an example of like, microaggressions or like polite racism mm. and if he's listening to this he would be the first person to be like I am not racist I love people and like gosh darn it that man has a big heart so for sure and he is like he was alive when residential schools were still active and teaching and like the the way his parents talked and the way his peers talk it's like that's it, it's racist. And I think that we can often confuse micro assaults, which are things where we like use a racial slur or we like fly a Confederate flag or swastika symbolism, or we're not allowed to date outside of your skin color. Like those would be considered micro assaults. Whereas microaggressions would be things that just subtly negate or nullify, so like numb someone's experience or identity. And so it's things like, where is that person from? Or you have really good English for this type of person. Or when you're walking down a street and someone of color approaches you and you grab your bag or you like move away out of fear, it implies that that someone is to be scared of, even though you don't know anyone. So just by the way they look, they're there's someone to be scared of. And often the person who's doing the microaggression doesn't actually know that that's an insult. It doesn't know that they're doing harm. Mm. And like a microaggression that I experienced that's not related to racism that I experienced in, I was on a trip with dad and he was talking about how he's so proud of Chad and I, my husband, and just like loving us up. And he's like, you know, I'm just really proud that you're professional gays. <laughs> it's like, 
wait, what? Like, what did that, what did that, what does that term even mean? And so we generated this dialogue in the car around what a microaggression was and like why it matters. And, and I, you know, Steph, this is where I really struggle. It's like in these moments of microaggression, it's like the automatic is defense. The automatic is like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't mean it. I didn't say it. And I was like, but there's still like, what I really want to start working through with my peers is like, how do we get to be like, hey, you said something that's incorrect and you don't need to be defensive about it. Mm. You don't need to like go on to like, I'm not trying to attack, but I also want you to know like, hey, like that was hurtful. Mm. And previously we've never actually like as white people, we're rarely held to account for the things that we say. And yeah. the, the, the hurtful things as small and tiny as they may be. But I'm like, man, if someone called me a professional gay, that wasn't my yeah. dad, like I may not have been so nice. So there's yeah. also like that moment. I don't want to. So, I mean, it's very fascinating. And when we speak about our dad, there are so many examples of, of racism that we grew up in that I think I could speak on his behalf that he didn't mean for them to be racist. And yet in our white little family, these are things that you're taught and you're learned. And now I understand why it's important to have books and have conversations and be held to account. And, you know, our dad grew up in Port Alberni, British Columbia, and his dad came over from Ireland to work in the residential schools and to work with the indigenous people. And I do find that Frank Pops would honor the First Nations. It became everyone else was like up for de debate or discussion, including a professional gay or a person of color. And that just felt so wrong. And what I'm seeing now, and I don't want to take away from the Black Lives conversation at all, but it comes up in more than just Black lives. It comes up in using incorrect pronouns for someone and what it feels like to correct someone's pronouns. And I was actually speaking to a good friend of mine who was corrected on social. I was corrected on social last week. In my attempt to mute and to only regram, I did things incorrectly. And I was like, thank you for teaching me. And I had a friend who said, you know, I'm getting attacked for being wrong. And I was like, we're not used to being wrong. And now we're being corrected. Like now is the time we stand in it and say, we've been wrong. And what do we do? How do we make it right? And yet, whether it is a pronoun, whether it's a racist statement, we're just not in the practice of, of correcting someone and, and then accepting it. So to your point, you've nailed it. Like we go into defense, we go into why we're right. It's like, I'm actually not even giving you space to be right. I'm letting you know that what you said was not okay. And here's how you can say it differently. And here's what's actually occurring. I don't want your pity. I want you to change. I don't mm -hmm. want a free spot. I want you to think about who I am and how I got to this place. And I just think, I mean, I keep saying it's like swords down. This isn't a fight. The fight is done. It's like, how do we get to a place where we can drop our ego and say, we don't know, or we've mm -hmm. been raised, you know, you beautifully said, we've been raised in an environment. Granted, there was a lot of love. And while it may or may not have been intentional, that doesn't freaking matter. It was 
what it was. And now we need to do things differently. So, you know, I, I, I really appreciate if you need email templates, everyone, it's matt.corker at the corker (laughs) collective.com. You can email Matt Corker because he's impeccable at using language and it's fascinating, bro. You're getting people emailing you and you don't wait a moment. I love it. You tell me, he tells me he meditates and then he replies to emails because what the stream of consciousness that holds people accountable to changing in written form is super powerful from you. And yet I'm also mindful that you know, in the coffee shop, how do you correct someone in the moment and there's a hustle and a bustle? It's like every moment, if it's an email, let it be email. If it's in the coffee shop, let's correct people in the coffee shop. And I think the purpose of this conversation is to highlight the surrendering of not knowing and of being corrected and of having the courage to correct. And to your point, like we've learned a fraction. This has been going on for hundreds of years. And I, you know, I was reflecting back. So first off, the emails that you're referring to are to like white colleagues in the HR space, white parents, that my friends that are also look like me or value me. Like we, I'm in the conversation of like, rather than trying to be an educator of racism to the world, like that's not my spot at all. But I am like really committed to having the courage to stand up to people that I may not have ever stood up to before to say like, oh, that microaggression or that like term, like that's not okay. And now it's like, it's now no longer like enough to like be polite about it. It's like, we actually have to be really direct and specific and like, here's how this is harmful. Here's what this looks like in a way that allows them to A, not get on the defense, but white fragility is real. So like Mm -hmm. that may also take place. And I also recognize like, Wait, bro, I need to jump in on this because of you being who you are and because of you sending emails to, you know, your friend that sends out, sends out a newsletter and doesn't make mention of something. You're like, I just want you to know, here's an opportunity or you're out of office that says, here's where I'm going to be on Friday at the protest. And here's why. And I got a note from an event organizing company that they were having. They're like, in light of everything, we still want to educate on supply chain. So here's a webinar that you can join and learn on global supply chain. And it was for white men. And I replied and was like, I'm so grateful that I'm on your list to learn about supply chain and you can do better. And I'm not interested in attending anything with four white men. So try again. And I realized like throughout our years, we actually, like for me, I look back at elementary and high school and I'm like, I can't recall a person, like a teacher that didn't have white skin. And I can't like the movies and the stories that we were educated with, like they all had characters that looked like me. Now we could take a whole diversion of how that created some ingrained homophobia in, in myself because like all the stories were like of straight white people. And like, I had to do my own unpacking there, but it's like, in terms of being also humble enough to say, I've never had a teacher that looked like this before. I've never had a teacher that spoke like this before. And I've never had a teacher that had a lived experience like this before. And so I actually need to relearn how to be a student. Because my like white colonial sit and be proper and make sure that I like only speak when called upon and don't have any uh, emotion or anger or like 
tears when you present, like that's not, that's, that's the white way of learning. And when I think about learning, I'm like, and that's also what decimated our indigenous culture in Canada was that way of learning. Well, you nailed it because I remember my chemistry teacher in high school and I took a lot of chemistry classes very quickly, was a black single mom. And she brought her son to school because she couldn't afford daycare. And he sat in her office and would color and draw. And he was wonderful. And she was incredible. I wanted to just keep taking chemistry classes because this was a no BS teacher. And she was strong and she was powerful and she held the bar high and she might be the only teacher of color that I had during elementary school and high school. And it's funny that you bring that up because I remember her with such gusto and gosh, I wish I could find her, but no other teacher did that. No other Mm -hmm. teacher had that bar and, you know, had to bring their children to school. She figured it out. Yeah. One of the things that I remember, like, and this is where it's like, when we talk about white privilege, it's like, that is an example of our white privilege. Like we were taught by educators who looked like us, that spoke like us. And one of my favorite, like I often say that I love being a rule breaker and I love being someone who like knows the rules so that I know which rules to break. Like I don't like to know the rules to follow. Mm -hmm. And I I keep recalling a story of dad taking us on excursions when we were at the cottage when we were young. And we would go through these fields and these farms, like in the farms of Northern Ontario. and um, I, I, we'd see no trespassing signs. And I'd be like, dad, like, we can't go there. It's no trespassing. And his response was always, that's only for bad people. And then when the news came of people, that indigenous people being shot on property because they were trespassing, quote unquote, or just like on land, I was like, oh, that's what was referring to. Like, if you didn't look like me or if you didn't act like yeah. me, like those small little microaggressions allowed my white skin to be like Teflon. Like I was not harmed at all through any of this. And it's, it's like, I'm going to say it's like an uncomfortable realization Mm -hmm. and I'm more committed to solving the problem and worrying about my own discomfort. I'm like, cool. I'm just uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable holding the splits in yoga. Like I, like if I can do be uncomfortable physically in my body and like yeah. you with triathlon, like your pain threshold is so high. I'm like, okay, now we have to have emotional and mental pain. Let's yeah. like increase our threshold. We can Absolutely. train like this. Absolutely. So important. So important. I'm so grateful to have this conversation to, to keep it real, to keep like, what is going on? What does it look like being white right now? And not crying white tears, but learning what we can be doing differently and uh, how to recover when we screw up. Definitely. Right like this. We got a wrap, bro. What's making your heartbeat faster? It's making my heartbeat faster. I've been really inspired by, I'm going to give a shout out to the, to the Sacred Fig crew because there's a number of teachers, yoga teachers that have gone through that program. And I've just been really proud of how they've showed up in solidarity and support how they've like really taken their yoga practice and like the 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 embodiment of nonviolence, the embodiment of like mm-hmm. may all beings be happy and free and may my actions contribute to their happiness and freedom like and really taken it to like the streets taking it to the poles and i'm just like way to go i couldn't be more proud so just like shout out to all 
the teachers that I've had the opportunity to work with. I'm just so freaking proud. Amazing. I, I'm going to say what makes my heart beat faster is working with you through this time because working with you through COVID through a movement now called black lives matter has continued to keep me beating. It's like, what can we be doing differently? What conversation can we be in? And I just go to bed at night and think it's all totally possible. We can be the change in what comes next. And Matt Corker is the leader of that. So from your words, from what you share, from how you type an email, it really makes a difference. And it's super uncomfortable working with Matt Corker under these times and circumstances for all the right reasons. And so I recognize that, that you're holding true despite the discomfort. And Mm -hmm. that is super, super important. So thanks. And I think that what you said previously of like, in a previous conversation we had, it's like, we're here to change leaders. Like we Mm. believe in changing leaders and I feel like I'm the biggest student right now. And Mm. so if I'm like, I don't feel like I'm leading the charge. I don't feel like I'm leading the movement. And I'm really glad to be a leader in my organization, in my family, in my community, in, in support of this conversation and this movement. Totally. I love it. Um, Reach out to Matt Corker. He's happy to be in these conversations and we'll include our resources and our guides in the show notes below. And we're not done with this conversation. So thanks for tuning in.